Listener Production. What do deep sea species and batteries have in common? I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is the Science Briefing. Over 5,000 new species have been discovered at the bottom of the ocean, one of the least explored places in the world. But the thing that led to their discovery could also lead to their demise. Today, I chat to Cosmos Magazine journalist Matthew Ward-Ages about both the metals and the critters that live in harmony under the sea. So, Matt, researchers have just discovered a huge number of creatures in the deep sea. Who were these researchers and where exactly were they looking? Discovered is probably the wrong word here, Sophie, and I am being a little bit overly technical in saying that, but it's more we that love they've it been... when you're like that, Matt. <laughs> it's more that they've been described. So, okay. roughly 5,000 new species are living in part of the Pacific Ocean called the clarion Clipperton Zone. It's too long to say, though, so we'll just call it the CCZ. Yes. It's a huge area between Mexico and Hawaii, spanning about 6 million square kilometres, and the species that are in this 5,000-odd group have been known about for decades. Okay. But this new research, this new study, is a massive effort by scientists working in the UK and Europe, led by staff at the Natural History Museum in London, to actually classify them to actually say this one that we're looking at here this is a species we found a new species here this part of the ocean isn't exactly super close to the uk why are they looking there in particular matt good question so the depths of the ocean that we're talking about authority isn't held by say mexico or the usa which you you know you normally assume international waters every country gets their own little bit of water to look after yeah but it's actually held by the international seabed authority or something called the isa And that's because we're talking about the deepest, darkest parts of the Pacific Ocean here, which in this region have been studied since the 70s. And because it's so deep, jurisdiction is held by this authority as opposed to Mm -hmm. any one country. But lately, the ISA has been under a lot of pressure to allow what is called deep seafloor mining in these waters. Okay. Because it's been identified as a hotspot for polymetallic nodules, which contain a range of important elements like cobalt, and nickel. So before they can make a decision on whether or not to allow mining, Mm -hmm. they need to know about what the environment is actually like down there. And so we've seen a surge in seabed research over the last 10 or 15 years. Okay, so what kind of data are they collecting? And how do they actually collect it so deep in the ocean, Matt? I presume it's not trivial. Yeah, look, you're right. And It's not particularly easy or safe for a human being (laughs) to be this deep in the ocean. So instead, researchers send down remote control vehicles Mm -hmm. or something called a sturdy box. So I imagine a sturdy box in this scenario to be a bit like one of those dustpan and brush things, but the dustpan is huge and it's like a big long broom handle attached to it to scoop it in. You can stand up with your dustpan and brush. And I imagine that sort of box just being like dragged along the bottom of the ocean and whatever they scoop up they drag it up to the top and look hey the new starfish great cute (laughs) so once they've got what they need they upload the records to isa's deep data platform which Mm -hmm. is a public listing database of biological physical and geochemical information from this deep ocean ecosystem 
or they'll just publish it in their normal research in reputable right. scientific journals to say, hey, look, you know, we went out, we were doing this research, hey, look what we found. And as a result of that, there's over 100,000 records of animals that no one knows being collected. So from that group, they've drilled that down to what they would say is about 5,000 new species. We think this is unique. It's 5,000 of these. This is pretty cool. Wow, Matt, that is huge. 5,000 new species. Can you tell us a little bit about some of them? Okay, so a quarter of them are arthropods, which includes things like crustaceans, so crabs, Mm -hmm. shrimp, lobsters, and things like that. The delicious ones. A third of these species are worms, so they're from the annelid and the nematode phyla. So annelids Mm -hmm. are segmented worms, think of earthworms, and nematodes are more like roundworms, parasitic worms that go inside your body and do bad things. Yes. And then there were lots of echinoderms as well. So things like starfish, sea urchins, and mm-hmm. sea cucumbers. But the best way to describe them to you, Sophie, is to show you. Okay. So if you have a look. Yep. I'm clicking on the link. I'm on the Cosmos website. Oh. So if you go down, big sort of like furry reddish pinkish ball of spines, that's a, yeah. that's a new sea urchin found from the deep sea. Do you know what it's like? Do you remember at primary school where you had to throw the like spiky ball into the net? It's like that, but the spikes are out of control. Yeah, like the spikes are more like massive needles that that would massive needles that would pierce tiny children's hands. Yes. (laughs) Okay, and then next one I quite like is because it reminds me of you've seen Stranger Things. Yes. Great. In season one, there's that demogorgon Mm -hmm. thing. It's got this sort of weird head, and when it opens up, it's like this big sort of weird fleshy <gasps> flower. It reminds yes. me exactly of that. That's what it looks like. This is actually the underside of a sea star. So this is oh. actually what it looks like, you know, from the bottom. This is the bit that goes on the sea floor. Right. Everyone talks about how The Simpsons predicts the future. Well, Stranger Things just predicts what we're about to haul out of the deep sea, apparently. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's that. There's this sea cucumber. If you look mm-hmm. at that, I mean, that that's a very phallic-looking thing. It sure is. I don't know about you. When I was in school, I always had those books of, you know, amazing creatures of the deep. Mm -hmm. And you see all these, like, horrible-looking fish that look like, you know, they'd eat you. Yeah, like a deep-sea angler or whatever, and they've got the creepy eyes and they're a bit see-through and there are lights everywhere. This thing looks like that. So this is just another sea cucumber, but it's got these (laughs) weird spines and it looks like it's something out of, I don't know, Star Trek. It's an aggressive sea cucumber, isn't it? Very much so. These are what deep-sea animals look like in the Pacific. So very exciting. So, Matt, why did it take so long for them to be described I presume it's to do with where they live. They're really deep down. What is it even like there? Yeah, good question. And you're on the money. So it's probably taken a while for them to be audited. But this research that's now been done basically gives scientists, gives any organisation going out to this region a bit of a checklist so that when they find a species that comes up from the deep, they can actually basically match it up. Mm -hmm. To your question about what it's like down there, you are right. It is hard to find out what might be down at these depths because, firstly, it's incredibly dark and incredibly cold. Mm -hmm. We're talking about depths of 3,800 to 5,500 metres below sea level, which is very deep. Humans wouldn't survive here. There is no light. It's incredibly high-pressure water, and the temperatures are barely above zero degrees, above mm-hmm. freezing point. So it takes time to actually work out, you know, for human beings to work out what's actually going on in these types of environments. Yeah. But it's also a really unusual environment in, in a lot of ways. When I think of the seabed, I think of flat. 
Well, that's not true. It's completely different. In fact, it's a lot like land, just underwater. So it's a mountainous yeah. area. But then there's also these sort of fracture zones, so big fissures in the mm -hmm. seabed. So these animals are occupying all sorts of terrain in the same way that animals occupy all sorts of terrain on the land. So Matt, why is all of this important? Why should we care about our new little worm pals? Good question. And I guess it's a simple answer in, in some respects, and that's that it's always important to learn about new species or undescribed yeah. species. Sure. Understand the world that we live in. And, you know, there are likely to be potentially twice as many undescribed species living in the Pacific Ocean around this area. They've only done a tiny little patch of it. Yeah. There's still plenty more to do. And who knows what else is there? Because at the end of the day, this is an ecosystem, this is an environment that largely has been undisturbed by human beings for millions of years. So these guys have just been able to do their own thing, yeah. completely undisturbed for such a long time. We are only now starting to see what's down there. You know, at the end of the day, as we often say, we know less about the depths of our own world than we do about things in outer space now. So we are still very much at the first steps into exploring this part of our planet. Yeah, for sure. And I get that Yeah, it is really important to start understanding that. And you said miners are interested in the area. Why are they mm. so interested? I think you also mentioned before nickel and cobalt. So I presume mm. they want that? They want metals because we need metals. <laughs> miners <right>? love metals. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, and we do need metals and we specifically need these metals. Okay. So the CCZ, it's a hot spot for deep sea mining. Mm -hmm. It's because at the bottom of the ocean in this region, there are these stony, pebbly-like structures called nodules or polymetallic yep. nodules. Poly, many, metallic, metal, many metals. So yes. these structures are aggregations of manganese, iron, cobalt, nickel, copper, all sorts of other trace metals yep. that have clumped together also over millions of years. And they are incredibly valuable because these are the metals that we are going to need to manufacture things like batteries, but not just, you know, double A's. We need these for the massive batteries for electric vehicles, for renewable energy storage. So if we want to transition, we need to build these things. Mm -hmm. And these are the metals that we're going to need to be able to do it. So Matt, I have a question. I'm slightly concerned about our new little monster undersea pals and mining. Is there a happy medium? And I mean that with these creatures living as they can, as they were in the depths of the ocean whilst being able to mine these nodules for renewable energy? Is that possible? Well, that's a good question. And it's something that's being figured out, I suppose, right. is the, the best answer we have at the moment. So there's a few things about that that you've raised that are actually really important. And that is that these nodules also provide habitat for some species. Mm. And one of the comments made by the researchers to me was that on just about every nodule that they dragged up, it was providing some degree of habitat for some sort of right. organism. And it might be a large organism like a worm, sure, but it could also be very microscopic life. Mm -hmm. But a separate piece of research published findings that the radioactivity of these polymetallic nodules is, I won't say off the charts because they can measure it, but certainly above a lot of right. established limits around what's safe for human beings to be exposed to. So that's another thing that we need to work through as well. Mm -hmm. How are we going to be not just safe for the ecosystem and for these newly discovered organisms, but how are we going to be safe for the human beings that are actually going to be handling this material? Yeah, so Matt, what will happen next? 
will they start to mine these areas? Can we comment on that yet? So whilst we have scientists asking for a bit more funding to actually independently research other areas of the Pacific and understand the other ecosystems that they haven't been able to get into yet, there is also a deadline that is fast approaching and that is to finalise the international regulations for deep seabed mining. That's due for July this year. So it is very much a wait and see thing, I think, Sophie, but at least in the meantime, we now know what's down there and that will you know, give us greater clarity as to how we should proceed with, with any form of industry or further research and investigation. Matthew Ward-Aegis is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Matt's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe. You can download the Listener app to listen for free. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Bonnie Lavelle. Mixing by Dave Stein. And I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.